My name is Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Jesus continued, But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. We pick up this week right where we left off last week, with Jesus continuing what's often called the Sermon on the Plain, a sermon unique to the Gospel of Luke, but it shares an awful lot in common with the Sermon on the Mount, which is unique to Matthew. That little fact there implies that these collections of teachings and parables formed into a single sermon Well, the pieces there may have been the sort of things that Jesus repeated over and again in different places at different times, rearranging them for context, maybe including this but not that, as to make a particular point that day for that audience. And the visual image of where Jesus is as he delivers these messages only serves to help make that point. It's no coincidence. In the Sermon on the Mount, those famous Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, are all about lifting up the lowly. It's all good news for those who are in a bad way, up on a mount. In the Sermon on the Plain, blessed are you is immediately followed with woe to you. The good news comes with a warning attached shortly thereafter. For every instance of the lowly being lifted up, the haughty are knocked down. In other words, our structures and presumptions about who is better than whom will be done away with. They will be leveled out. No coincidence here. In the Greek, the word for plain is a level place. So last week, with those blessings and woes, we looked at how they, they aren't really, or at least aren't just, a prophecy about the end times. 
It's a wise observation, a statement of fact, really. If you're in a bad way, you can take heart because it won't last forever. But if you're comfortable, you need to look out because that won't last forever either. And it's right on the tail end of that. And now Jesus turns to what they should actually do. So are these commands about how to make the world a more level place? Or are they a wise and honorable response to these observations about the way of the world? Or are they about distinguishing ourselves as disciples of Christ from the rest of the crowd? Or the rest of the world, for that matter. And the answer is yes. (laughs) It's each of those things. These commands take the world as it is. And if we follow them, we inch the world towards what it should be. And all the while, they set us apart because these aren't intuitive things to do. Now, there's a lot here, so we're not going to do justice to each line, but I do want to touch on a number of them, and she's going to require skipping a bit and jumping around a bit and grouping some of them together as to summarize. Well, right up top here, we've got, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. This line and others like it have been used in terrible ways over the centuries as to encourage abused partners, spouses, children, and so on to stay in those situations. But it's clear from what follows, explaining this idea that the abusers are imperial powers. Roman centurions could do the kind of things Jesus is talking about, striking civilians, demanding their cloak, taking away their goods. And moreover, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? This is about how we respond to those whom we absolutely and explicitly do not love. If you can imagine a situation in which an abused partner sticks around with a rationalization like, well, I love him and he loves me, then we know we've ventured well outside the bounds of what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about a relationship which claims to be founded on love and has abusive elements. He's talking about how we respond to the abuse of power in society at large. In their case, it was Romans and Roman centurions. In ours, it might be the state. It might be a church. It might be a corporation. How do we respond to that? Well, public, solemn, submission, nonviolent protest to that kind of abuse? Well, it works because it exposes it. It's not the instinctual thing to do, and yet Jesus commands it, and we've seen time and again that its value is that it exposes the abuse. It shines a light on how evil the empire is and signals the kind of peace and strength those who have been saved by God experience. Their faith in God is bigger than those imperial powers. On the other hand, enduring abuse behind closed doors, say within a family structure, does not shine a light on anything. It does not improve society at large. It doesn't demonstrate peace or strength. Jesus is not telling you or anyone else to stay in an abusive relationship. And in fact, we can infer just the opposite. The way we stop that kind of abuse is by making it known. So back to that question, what good is it to love those who love you? Even sinners do that. Instead, uh, skipping ahead a bit to how Jesus summarized how to respond to that idea, he says, lend without expecting anything in return. In other words, do what's good and loving and right just because it's good and loving and right. If your good behavior is motivated by personal gain, hoping to get some prestige or power or resources, reputation, then it isn't really good behavior. Really good behavior is imitating God, which in this case means being merciful, even to those you know do not deserve it. Then near the end of our reading this morning, Jesus shifts to yet another wise sentiment. We could group these last few commands together as, you get out what you put in. 
If you don't want others judging you, don't go around judging others. I might add to that, don't hang out with people who are always, who are always judging others. If you don't want to be condemned, don't condemn anyone else. And if you want to be forgiven, you need to forgive, as hard as that is. Now, there's different ways these verses are often interpreted and, and then applied. And I would argue that often we interpret and apply them as to minimize their weight, to kind of let us off the hook. And one way we might do that is when we notice someone else, particularly another Christian, being judgmental, we would try to discourage that. Don't judge me. Don't judge, uh, you know, not just us, but don't judge anyone whom Christians might be tempted to mistreat or cast aside. Like Jesus's word is a corrective for those people who make those moral judgments as to exclude their neighbors and not love them. Because, well, you know, God calls us to love our neighbors, not judge them, no matter how much we disagree. In other words, it seems these words are often applied as though they apply as though they were meant for someone else. You need to stop judging. Not me. <laughs> the people I refrain from judging are exactly who I'm supposed to refrain from judging, and it's fine to judge the people I judge. But remember, this is Jesus pushing back against our intuitions, our instincts, and it's following up on this leveling out of society that the blessings and woes imply. It's the take-home message that follows from disregarding societal structures, imp uh, impressions about, you know, who's better than whom, who has power, prestige, and so on. That intuitive sense that the rich are to be envied and the poor are to be pitied. Jesus knocks that down once again. In other words, the do not judge means we shouldn't be making any of those judgments at all. This isn't just moral judgments. You know, it's true that Christians are called to love their neighbors, even those when they disagree with their lives, their behavior, what have you. But this is also about letting go of our instinct to treat certain people better or worse because of, well, in our context, you name it. We've come up with a number of ways to judge each other, and we do it quite often. Money, race, age, politics, education, profession, and so on. This is a call that when we love our neighbors, we don't decide to love one more than the other because of some cultural pressure like that. Now, the other place we often get stuck in these verses is on the idea that you must forgive if you want to be forgiven. We get stuck there because we Lutherans, among others, don't like the idea that God's forgiveness might have some conditions. And we handle that a few different ways. I mean, we, we turn it around by pointing out that the formula, if such a thing exists, can be turned around. It does work the other way. If you really understand the weight of your sins being forgiven, you'd want to forgive others too. Well, not just that, but uh, the fact is, this is at least in part about our human relationships. If you expect others to forgive you, you need to show that you are one to forgive too. Now, this is very close to how Jesus teaches us to pray, right? And by implication, it's how it works between humans and God. In the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I know in our context, we say, forgive us our trespasses, but it could have been translated sins just as easily. We recognize that forgiveness is meant to flow in each direction. Now, when forgiveness flows in each direction, it leads to right relationship. It leads to reconciliation. When we talk about God, we're, we talk about leading to righteousness. But in human-to-human -human relationships, we usually settle with 
reconciliation, getting the relationship back to where it belongs. Now, it's at this point with this idea that forgiveness, if done right, gets a relationship back to where it belongs, that we need to circle back to where we began on these verses. There is a wide gulf between, on the one hand, Jesus' command to forgive and that aspirational ideal of reconciling each and every broken human relationship. And way over here, on the other hand, is enduring abuse after abuse, being permissive and calling it being forgiving. See, forgiveness does not have to be the same as forgetfulness. Like we go right back to that same situation. And sometimes the most loving thing you can do for someone as you choose to forgive them is to allow or create or even force distance between you and them. So if you were caught in a cycle of abuse, the only way you could really forgive the abuser if the ideal of forgiveness is reconciliation is to put distance between you and the abuser, to get out of that relationship and get away from that person. Because you cannot be truly reconciled, get the relationship to where it's supposed to be, so long as that cycle continues. Distance has to be put there to break the cycle. Now, we can think of that in very personal terms, right? the relationship between two individuals, an abused person getting away from their abuser. But we can expand the idea up to, to families and, and communities, even large communities. I don't know if you can go quite as big as a, a country, for example, but if a congregation were abusive, it would behoove you to put distance between you and that congregation. The wisdom of this Sermon on the Plain and the practical applications at the end is that the disparities in human power that allow for abuse are temporary. We shouldn't mind them much less give them value. We should know that they are not in God's kingdom. They will come to an end. They are not for us as Christians. Now, in the meantime, as we move towards that ideal of God's kingdom, forgiveness is here as a tool to help restore relationships or at least get them to a better place. And it turns out forgiveness is as much for our sake, the one doing the forgiving, as anyone else's. If it's the ideal and the relationship is reconciled by forgiveness, great. If it has to be done at a distance, then so be it. But in either case, forgiveness means letting go of that weight that rests on your heart. It means you take stock of your human nature. Recognize that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we all need forgiveness. Understanding that reality comes hand in hand with the desire to forgive others too. And lastly, as long as we're on the topic of forgiveness and how it flows each way and how our relationship with God influences our relationship with other people, just note that when we proclaim the gospel and that we are forgiven by grace through faith on account of Christ, the only way they can really get inside our heart and our head to really know and live and understand the weight of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ forgiving our sins, to know what that feels like, is if we forgive others too. We only really know and live the gospel if we can forgive others. As hard as that is, Jesus says we got to do it. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. 
The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.